0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. I, I don't know much about social media, but I was on uh, Twitter a while back and just just trying to figure it all out. You know, I ain't no rocket surgeon. Everybody knows that. And I started picking up on this this thread, I think they call it, something called Gamergate. About I guess video games or something, it's some 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 kind of controversy. Who the hell knows what it was? But I started paying attention to it for whatever the reason, and this name kept uh, coming up. Some reference, something about a Milo Milo Yiannopoulos, something like that. And turns out this was a very big deal guy on Twitter at the time, at Nero. So I thought, okay, well, I'm to follow this guy. Might as well learn something here. I don't know much of anything about video games. I mean, I never wanted Pong. I could never understand it. So screw it. But a lot of people are really into it. Anyway. Turns out this wasn't about video games anywhere near as much as it was a cultural war involving feminists and gamers and and writing code for video games, and then it morphed into somehow liberal speech codes that, that, oh, it was crazy stuff. Long story short, this guy Milo Yiannopoulos had this incredible following, but Twitter didn't like him, and so the head of Twitter banished him and said, okay, that's the end of that. And I thought, well, that kind of sucks. Anyway, so I started seeing this guy all over the place, on C-SPAN, on news shows, this, that, and the other. So I thought, well, who is this guy? And uh, But then I didn't think anything else of it. until so this big deal uh, public relations firm in Atlanta said, uh, Dimitri, we know you're always looking for A-list guests, and have we got one for you? And I said, Jesus, who could that be? And they said, it's Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos. I said, you're kidding me. Said, no, 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 we can actually get this guy because he's got this runaway bestseller, Dangerous, by Milo Yiannopoulos, and he's on a book tour right now. And yeah, we might be able to get him for One Dimitri Radio. And I said, man, this would be too good to be true. Long story short, we got him. So, Milo, welcome to One Dimitri Radio. How you doing?
2: Hello, how are you? Well, thank you for that lovely and highly complimentary introduction, which is, of course, all absolutely accurate. Um, and thank you for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be on the show.
1: Now, how do I describe you to my listeners? I'll tell you what I know about. Oh, you. I,
2: don't know. I don't know. I don't know. How I don't know we, I just We're str- we're struggling with that ourselves. I don't know what I am. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, that's that's kind of odd because I thought I had. A, I don't know, but I got some notes here. Now, what the hell did I do with these notes? Uh, oh, 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 here it is. Here's how you describe yourself in the dust jacket. Your heroes include Skeletor, the archenemy of He-Man, of course, Darth Vader, <laughs> and Joan Rivers. I get the Skeletor part. I kind of get the Darth Vader part. Because he was
2: so thin, you know.
1: Oh, is that it? Okay. Well, Joan Rivers. Okay. And what about Joan Rivers then? What's the deal with Joan Rivers?
2: Oh, are you kidding me? She's wonderful. She's the best of the three. Um, No, Joan Rivers is somebody, you know, I have always admired for her waspishness, her wit, her brilliance, Um, and the fact that she, you know, would take no prisoners. And and everybody was vulnerable. You know, you, you never knew you were in a Joan Rivers audience, you never knew if she was going to come for you. There were no sacred cows with her. You know, she did have political opinions. You know, she didn't really have time to, to lecture you about them, unlike so many other comedians in America today who simply uh, want to tell you what to think rather than sit back and make you laugh. Um, so she was wonderful. She was a perfect example of a sort of bipartisan, brilliant artist. And I don't think there's anything like her left since she died.
1: Other than you, of course. Now, you say that you have. I'm not
2: allowed to say that about myself. But well, then yes, let
1: me say it for you. Here's what <laughs> Milo wrote about himself in uh, Dangerous. He says he has an impeccable sense of style, Adonis like good looks, and that he is best at being humble, and he also calls himself a Jewish faggot who loves <laughs> black guys. Is this all true? What's
0: it, it
2: is It is all true. You see, I try to make out like I don't flatter myself on your radio show, and then you just read lashing, lashing, lavish self-praise from my book <laughs> about myself. Well, fine, yes, absolutely. <laughs> all
1: right, so you're, would, you, would, it be, would it be safe to say that you're a provocateur, if you're pardon my French, and if you are a provocateur, what exactly is that?
2: Uh, well what i try to do is to get people to laugh and to think i want to i want to make people challenge their their preconceptions to question what they have been told by journalists teachers their parents hollywood uh their professors um and to reconsider uh, reconsider their let's say the, the assumptions that on which lots of polite society and politically correct um american public life rest so whether it's things that were told by feminists, things that were told by Black Lives Matter, things that were told by well-meaning but um, idiotic uh, journalists and newspaper columnists, were things that were told by not well-meaning, very smart, evil, malevolent and terrible college professors. Um, there are all kinds of people in America who want to, be- to persuade you of things that are not true and to stop you from responding, thinking about them intelligently or questioning them. Now, they tend, on the whole, to be on the progressive left, to be the sort of feminist, social justice warrior, Black Lives Matter, end of the spectrum. Those are the people who tend to want you not to speak, who want to restrict your right to express yourself, who have problems with um, points of view other than their own. Hmm. And those are the people that this book is aimed at. And that's, those are the people that I uh, was put on God's earth to, to trigger to death.
1: <laughs> Speaking of the book, <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I thought, I thought it would be a good idea to try to do some kind of preparation for the interview so I didn't sound like a complete idiot. And it turns out that today, <laughs> today the breaking news is, according to the New York Post, by the way, apparently congratulations are in order, that your book, Dangerous, is now going to be carried by barnes and noble and there's a story behind that so tell the listeners how you finally got barnes and noble to carry Dangerous.
2: well we should have of course been um on the shelves at barnes and noble as a new york times bestseller but it took some persuasion i understand why that might have been the case of course the book was originally carried by simon and schuster before they uh dumped it and we're suing them for that because they can't do that um but, but, you know, they have to maintain relations with the big publishers, so I don't know whether that played into it. Who knows? Um, but they were getting so many people go in there and ask, why the book? Why, why Barnes and Noble? You know, this, this, this beleaguered bricks and mortar book retailer, a company that you would imagine, given how much financial trouble it's in, would be desperate to make money wherever they can. Not be stocking a New York Times bestseller for which, you know, which thousands of their customers wanted copies of. Why was that? What's going on? Well, we still don't know. But what I can report, uh, thankfully, is that my team has struck a deal with Barnes & Noble so that we will be appearing in their stores. I think they're ordering one or two copies per store to begin with. And depending on demand, they'll, they'll start, um, stocking up uh, a bit better than that. We, um, happy to say, you know, we'll, we'll now be appearing in stores as we always should have. Um, but it, it's just one of those little examples of how as a libertarian or a conservative or somebody who cracks jokes that you're not really supposed to or whatever it can be enormously difficult just to get a level playing field and just to you know just to have a fair crack at things you know mm-hmm. um and and it's 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 actually it's remarkably difficult just to get a fair uh, a fair shake um, well, I love what
1: you I love what you came up with here with a caption in part in terms of the social media how you got into Barnes and uh, Noble. Uh, you want to tell them about the Adolf reference.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, so we we had all of the fans um, constantly going in and filming themselves trying to order the book at Barnes & Noble. And some of the best ones we put on YouTube. So we would blur out, of course, the image of the salesperson because we don't want to be mean to individual employees at Barnes & Noble. It'd be, that would be unnecessarily cruel. But we, we did keep their, their explanations in. And most of them were just mystified. And some of them were saying things like, well, this is weird. The computer system has a button to order this book into stores, but the button has been disabled. Um, and we don't know why, and there are all these sort of mysterious things. So anyway, we encourage people to go into their local Barnes and Noble and ask for the book, and many thousands of, of Milo fans did, and they, they were asked questions such as, you know, why are there three copies of Mein Kampf on the shelves at Barnes and Noble and no copies of Dangerous? Are you, is there is there something in? Well, this is the question people were asking: Is there something? in a book by a gay Brit who ha- who happens to crack a lot of fat jokes um who's basically a you know a conservative commentator a, a, a pundit whatever um is there something worse that my own has said or done or something in his book so inexcusably evil um that it makes it uh it worse than Mein Kampf? and i think that perhaps that question you know the the, the issue of whether they were perfectly happy to profit from the sales of mine camp, but would not stock, despite the entreaties of their customers, my dangerous. I think finally they saw the the, in, the inescapable logic and, and ludicrousness, the ludicrousness of their own position, really. And so, um, anyway, I, I don't want to labor on to, and be too mean about them, but it, obviously it was stupid that a major retailer was not carrying a New York Times bestseller. Goes without saying that. Indeed, the
1: case. indeed. Now, what happened when a young Milo was told he could not read Atlas Shrugged?
2: I have always naturally, and I don't know whether this is a result of upbringing or if some people are just born broken this way, I've had a natural distrust for authority. I, it's a, I think it's also a particularly British thing, by the way. Um, Americans, British people tend to put their trust in people, and Americans very often have, at least until the last couple of decades, put their trust in institutions. And I think it's because America is quite a young country. And um, the, so, the, so even if he didn't, you, you know, when Obama, when Obama was in power, for instance, you get real of red-blooded Republicans who um, would say, I don't like the guy, but show him some respect, he's the president. And it's quite a common thing to hear in America at the time. The office of the president is something that commanded respect. Well, those sorts of institutions that the... the I have been around for so long in the UK that people are already sick of them and already incredibly cynical and skeptical of them right out of the gate. So it might be partly being a Brit and partly just me. But I, when somebody tells me I can't do something, want to know why. I want to know why you're telling me I can't. What is the. You're saying that. It's the, I've never really understood why. Uh, I, I, as a child, I didn't understand why adults thought I was so stupid that I wasn't able to consider books and ideas and jokes. And form my own conclusions, it seemed to me horribly patronizing for for someone to suggest to me that picking up a book would somehow by osmosis make me believe everything in the book seemed really dumb and stupid to me. And if people were that easily persuaded that there were a lot bigger problems on your hands than, you know, what political book a a 17-year-old might pick up. So when people started... Telling me that certain things ought to be off limits in polite society and ought to be off limits for right thinking people, it started to make me suspicious and that set off i guess the next i don 't know 15, 20 years of my fifteen years of my of my career which was which has been one of constant skepticism about uh, these people who claim that they know better than the rest of us what we should be doing what we should be reading, what language we should be using um, and, and these the are various other other um, Recommend, they say sort of phrased as recommendations or presented as encouragements, but really they come with consequences if you don't uh, obey them. And this has evolved in American society to um, <coughs> excuse me, the feminists and Black Lives Matter activists, the media, Hollywood elites, and all these various other people um, instituting quite severe Social consequences for anyone who dares to express, you know, libertarian or conservative points of view. So I grew up with a healthy skepticism of authority, one that was completely uh, justified by my later experiences in, in America.
1: Okay. Now, one of the things that you wrote about in uh, this book, Dangerous, the runaway bestseller—not just a bestseller, but runaway bestseller—which is typically the best type, my sources tell me—is um, that um, there's this uh, was. Harambi really a prejudiced primate, and was Pepe really an anti-Semitic amphibian?
2: <laughs> well, it just one of the most amazing things about the last election is you kind of had this youth culture that was inventing symbols and using symbols as, as sort of as gestures as of rebellion against um, uh, not just social justice warriors, but against authority and against. Um, you know, institutions and establishments and elites in general. And then there would be this wonderful game that was played where somebody would pretend that a particular hand sign or cartoon on the Internet was a a secret code for white supremacy and then leak it to gullible journalists. And then suddenly three days later it would be on CNN. It was an amazing thing to watch, like just how dumb American journalists are—they're really stupid—and I'm not just saying that to be offensive or to be mean. I'm telling you, your journalists um, in this country are the dumbest anywhere in the world. The people reading you the news on TV are thick as a box of bricks, and they will literally believe anything that confirms their pre-existing prejudices. And that—that um, was new to me because I thought that America would be—I would, don't know why I thought America would be, would be smarter than Britain. It was, but it, it was just a remarkable thing to me to watch. You know, and my own friends did it. I mean, I know the people who. who there's there's, this, there's an OK hand sign, right? That um, that we, the, 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 a, a group of people tried to persuade journalists with secret code for a white power symbol, and it made it into every one of the major liberal media outlets. And it was just it was just something that people made up to laugh at them, just to see how gullible and stupid they were. And it was an amazing thing watching this green cartoon frog evolve on CNN into the symbol of the resurgence of anti-Semitism and white supremacy in the United States when it was just a bunch of 17-year-olds mucking about on the Internet. Um, that's how gullible the American um, media is. And, uh, you know, if you have any res- any last remaining respect for journalists in America, I urge you to get rid of it.
1: <laughs> Amen to that. What? What the, what's a cuck?
2: A term that evolves, um, it, it, it basically now means a Republican... Who is insufficiently uh, motivated to protect the interests of his people, his country, his nation? So it comes originally from the, the cuckolding is—I uh, mean, it's in Shakespeare, it's in Chaucer. It's a, it's a husband watching somebody else with his wife. Uh, in pornography, generally, the somebody else is a is a large, muscular, sometimes, sometimes a black dude, um, and the the idea is that Republicans have allowed to happen to the country what those men in the porn videos uh, allowed to happen to their wives and they sit back and watch and do nothing while it happens. So it came to be a word you apply to Republicans who said that they were all for faith and flag and proud of their nation but at the same time were pro immigration, you know, because of the cheap labor and the you know the the, the benefits to big business and all the rest of it. Ignoring the cultural consequences of importing lots of different of, of people from inferior cultures you know um, and, and ignoring the social consequences of changing the fabric of a nation for economic purposes, so the left wanted to try to claim that this and the, and the right did too, even the establishment you know that, that there's nothing worse than a republican desperately and cravenly begging for the approval of liberals and You had this ridiculous spectacle in the last election of Republicans distancing themselves from this word, of trying to pretend that they thought it was racist. And it wasn't because they thought it was racist, it was because they realized it was directed at them. Uh, And the left saying that this word was racist because sometimes when this appears in porn, maybe most of the time, um, it it typically involves a black male uh, with the with the guy's wife. Well, actually, this term goes back far, far further than that. So it's Chaucerian, it's Shakespearean, and it's um. so to my to my mind, they're a perfect allegory. It's an ex- exactly the right word for somebody who sits back and allows what he ought to love the most um, to to be ravaged by you know. Uh, uh, well, anyway, you get the idea, I think.
1: Right, and and in fact, the cuckold husband, if he's into that uh, type of scene.
2: Likes it. Yes, yes, he that's gets a sort of a perverse pleasure. Yes. He gets a sort of perverse pleasure out of uh, watching his beloved uh, defiled, no. and that was the allegation that was leveled at Republicans uh, in the last election by people who like Trump. And that's where that expression came from. And I, I think it's it's accurate and persuasive and brilliant.
1: Nope. <laughs> of course, brilliant. Of course you're going to think it's brilliant. All right. Now, um, <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of brilliant, I want, you, I want to read just one graph here in your book and have you comment on it, because I thought this was, well, brilliant. Uh, the conservative sense of fair play is disastrous when it comes to fighting Democrats. Elections are not college debates, no matter how much Ted Cruz might wish it so. They are not fought with facts and opinions, but with sloganeering, media spin, opposition research, and other cloak-and-dagger tactics. In politics, victory goes to those with cunning, metal, and deviousness, not those who have facts and principles on their side. It helps to have facts and principles on your side, as conservatives usually do, but they aren't enough to win. Why did you write this?
2: Well, um, this is this is one of the things that you, pops up in, in left-wing media. It's another quote that I gave that was everywhere for a while about, you know, the post-fact era. Uh, um, and, and, and it was misrepresented by the left to to suggest that what I meant was that we should give up our commitment to facts. What I was actually saying is, that, as, if you read the quote precisely as you did, um, it, it becomes clear, is that what I was saying was, facts aren't enough on their own anymore. And you can't, it is not enough simply to be right. You have to be right and persuasive. Um, you have to bring people over to your position, even if you know you, you are clearly you clearly have the moral high ground or you clearly have the facts on your side. And conservatives have traditionally been really, 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 really bad at it. They've been terrible at persuading people over to their side of the fence and at being ruthless enough to kick out their enemies when necessary. Why? Conservatives and Why? They, Why? Why? I think it's a sort of um, I think it's I think it's hardwired into the difference between progressives and conservatives. Progressives, by their nature, want to change things. They're angry about something. They want to tear down the old and, and replace it with with the new. They think that the, the system's broken. So they're the activists right out of the gate. You know, it's it's wired into their DNA. Conservatives, on the other hand, well, the clues in the name—they want to conserve. They want—they are by na- by their natures more restrained. And I think that there is something in the American conservative, um, or that something about that restraint in American conservatism has turned to uh, complete in- in- ineffectiveness, because it's become, as far as I can tell in Washington D.C., a sort of ineffectual, effete, limp-wristed uselessness among establishment Republicans, where they would prefer to hold highfalutin abstract debates on the pages of journals and magazines and pour billions of dollars into think tanks, rather than throwing warriors out onto the streets to win wars on college campuses. And by warriors, I mean ideological warriors. You know, getting out there like I do on college campuses and actually persuading kids that that, that they're right. Um, Conservatives have spoken a lot about winning, but they haven't actually done anything to win, and that's been the case, I think, for 30 years in this country.
1: No question. Um, El, uh, Milo uh, Yiannopoulos is my guest. Uh, the book is dangerous, a runaway bestseller, available uh, everywhere now, including Barnes and Noble, amazingly. Goodness. By all means, uh, buy uh, extra copies uh, and send them to uh, social justice warriors so they can lose their minds. Now, um, Ayn Rand uh, wrote another novel called The Fountainhead, and in that one, uh, there's this character, Ellsworth Toohey. And one of my favorite quotes from this guy is, uh, I play the stock market of the spirit, and I always sell short. Has Ellsworth Toohey and his progeny won the culture war?
2: No, I don't think so. Um, I, th- I think the Cold War is still very much up for grabs. There's, uh, obviously, at the moment, the left has complete dominance of uh, Hollywood, of the media, and of academia. And they've done it using emotion and identity politics um, and bullying and threatening tactics rather than using logic and reason. I don't think that they've taken a particularly... Um, they haven't, they haven't taken a, a, an economist's approach to this. They've taken a bully's approach to it, and they've done it, you know, in, in the service of conspiracy theories, like um, you know, seeing racism around every corner, the wage gap, campus rate crises, all this kind of nonsense that doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And it's easy to see, it's easy to see the culture wars as lost because conservatives have done such a bad job of fighting them. But I, I don't think that's the case. I think if you look at the fallout from UC Berkeley from, you know, the firestorm, the literal literal firestorm that um, emerged when I arrived there, if you look at, um, you know, the election of Trump. I think there's a significant swing back. And I believe from, you know, the, the huge numbers of young fans I have, like 13, 14, 15 years old, that there's a generation coming up behind the minel- millennials who absolutely hate this stuff. They loathe feminism. They can't stand BuzzFeed. They, they absolutely hate the stuff that they have been instructed by their parents' generation, by my generation, people about 35. Instructed by that generation to believe, they loathe it, and they're ready to um, they're ready to rebel against it. They're ready to to mount uh, a defence of what they believe in, which is you know free speech, free expression, the superiority of Western civilization. Um, they, these people are ready to turn around in a feminist's face and say, "You're full of BS." And I think it's very exciting. And I, so this is the reason that other conservatives have given up. I, as a sort of somewhere between a libertarian and conservative, have not given up. Um, And I won't give up because I think I have a sort of access to younger minds that maybe the other conservatives don't.
1: And the signs
2: that I see are very optimistic for the future.
1: All right. I didn't mean to step on you. Apologize. Let me ask you this question. This has really bothered me. When you were disinvited from CPAC, I was amazed that you were invited in the first place. I thought that was wonderful. A lot of Republicans and all that and younger you know, between you and, frankly, Dr. Ron Paul, I mean, you two actually attract the, the bulk, it seems, of young, uh, principled uh, libertarian-slash-conservative uh, kids. Okay. But uh, when you were disinvited after that smear campaign, which I thought was outrageous, and I was even, what was even more outrageous is virtually nobody stood up for you saying, you know... This is bullshit. This is just plain bullshit. I heard the podcast. I heard what you were saying. You were not saying, oh, yes, let's, let's have, you know, adults, you know, the, the NAMBLA, nothing like NAMBLA, nothing like that. You know, of course I thought it was, was god-awful. Absolutely god-awful, and no one came, virtually nobody came to your defense. I did, but again, you know, who cares about me? My question is this. Were you submarine, were you sabotaged by the left or the never-Trumpers? <laughs>
2: Um, well, it's funny. The, the Never Trumpers um, claimed victory, said that they had done what the left had never managed to do. And this this outfit that did it, this mysterious Twitter outfit called the Reagan Battalion, uh, claimed uh, credit and victory for having the, uh, produced this video. But in actual fact, it turns out that they're funded by George Soros. So it's just another example of how much cleverer the left is than the right. The right got totally taken in. The the The, um, the National Review right got completely hoodwinked by a Soros-funded left-wing organization which produced these videos and then persuaded them that actually they were just principled Republicans who didn't want to see the movement get taken over by this populist nationalist, you know, clown, you know, uh, entertainer-led revolution thing, whatever this is. No, we don't want that. So they, they got utterly, utterly, utterly played. And as a result, they sort of t- tried to eject, well, they did eject, um, you know, their most successful advocate. With the result that I now couldn 't give two hoots about them. I will do absolutely nothing for, college, for for establishment Republicans. I hate them just as much as I hate the left, and they did that to themselves. And all they're really doing, I think, is is further alienating themselves from a generation of voters they're going to need. And they're going to have to. They're going to have more candidates like Donald Trump. They're going to have more authors and media celebrities and personalities like me. And they're going to hate all of us. And they did it to themselves.
1: No question about that. Now, did you had to resign from Breitbart? You were, were an editor there. Big deal, editor there. So was Breitbart hoodwinked also?
2: No, I I resigned from there because I. I Thought it was unfair on my colleagues to be dealing with this this uh stuff morning noon and night and not being able to get anything else done um so I, you know i i, I left there because i was sort of planning to anyway i mean i was getting i was getting into quite a big a big name and then you know i was i was outgrowing breitbart to be completely honest with you and i don't think they'll be offended by me saying that with you because i, I think that they agree with that and i had pitched myself as a sort of um independent business unit from breitbart sometimes sometime before that um and, and this kind of accelerated my plans to spin myself off as a separate company. So I thought, you know what? Let's let's spare my colleagues the three months of hell that this is going to bring on them. Um, let's strike out on my own after a dignified period of of you know rest and recollection, uh, of my um, of, of whatever. And um, and and yeah, no, I, I I thought I thought it was the decent thing to do to people who had stuck by me through various other controversies.
1: But then Simon and Schuster drops you. Or you had a quarter million dollar deal. And then they back out. They throw eighty thousand bucks at you here, go away, that kind of a thing. In retrospect, with the benefit of hindsight, would it have been better to stay at Breitbart and to fight, as now you're fighting with Simon and Schuster,
2: um, or is it better no, to I just? I don't think so. Oh, go ahead. I don't think so because I
0: have so many resources now.
2: I mean, I, I raised twelve million for for my business, um, which is dedicated solely to. I'm sorry, your audio is just, just something. Yes. Oh, I'm about. sorry. There you go. Let's try that again. I, I don't think so. I think that um, now I have more freedom, and I have ma- many, many more resources than I had before. I do miss access to the talent and expertise at Bright but the um, you know the, the fact is that now I'm able to do whatever I want, go wherever I want, you know, strike it on my own, say whatever whatever the hell I like, without worrying about the masthead behind me, without worrying about you know how it looks to my colleagues. I'm am free to do as I please, you know, and I think that. Um, now I can, you know, launch a, a, a lawsuit against Simon & Schuster without worrying about all the impact on other Breitbart authors' books with Simon Schuster. To give you one example, right, mm-hmm. um, there's the power that independence gives you. And so, so you no, know, I'm, I'm I'm happy with the way things turned out, and um, I have every confidence of winning a suit with, uh, with Simon Schuster.
1: Okay. Now, Peter Thiel um, gave you a very nice uh, plug at the back of the book here. If you don't use your freedom of speech, one day you might find that it's gone, but this book okay, – I mean, buy this book – while it's legal. Peter Thiel, is he the uh, billionaire gay guy who supported uh, Trump, a libertarian kind of guy?
2: That's right, that's right. Now, question, question, uh,
1: question. I wanna ask you one question with that. Okay, this guy's like a multi-billionaire and he has your politics and all that. Why not go to him and say, look, I wanna do what the Republican Party doesn't do and that is I wanna fight the culture war, I wanna win at fighting the culture war, and I'm going to need a billion dollars from you to do that, to set up your own organization. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm not making a joke. I don't that. know if serious. any.
2: Uh, well, I, 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 think that, I don't think anybody is going to write anyone a check that big right away. You have to prove your concept. You have to demonstrate that you can successfully run you've a small it. operation. Before. You've, you've done well, it. I know, well, I haven't. I have now. Um, but what I did, first of all, what I did at the beginning was raise, you know, what, what I've just done a few months ago is raise $12 million um, so that I can prove that I can turn a profit on things and that I can run a business. And if I can establish those two things, then, yeah, sure, I'll go out to hedge funds, I'll go out to billionaires, and I'll start to say, well, I've done pretty well so far. I'd like another 100 please. Um, and, you know, I, I will be doing that. No, no, Absolutely, no, Milo, that. no, 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 that, <laughs> no,
1: no, no, that's not how you do it. You say, I'd like another Two hundred million, please. and that way, you'll probably get a hundred million. They'll think that they've won. So you got to double what you really want. That's a little trick for negotiating there. I thought I'd share well, that. With I you. will.
2: I will be sure to remember that um, if I ever get in a room with Peter. Thank you. you. You do that. Okay. Now, very
1: quickly before I know, I know we've got to wrap this up because you got so many other media th- uh, interviews no like that you got to do. Um, this company of yours now. Okay, you got the book. What else are you going to do with twelve million dollars?
2: Well, the college tour is going to be expensive. Uh, we want some money. In the, we want the money, money in the bank for op- future opportunities. You know, we want to be able to uh, leap on things as and when they pop up. We want to publish other people's books. So three of that twelve we're dedicating to um, the new publishing arm, Dangerous Books, which published Dangerous my book, and we'll also publish uh, other authors, um, and hopefully with, with with just as much success. We um are going to as I say, we are doing the college tour, and then who knows i mean this is a this is an exciting period of ex- of experimentation for me It's an opportunity for me to you know throw some mud at the wall and see what see what sticks. Do I want to be the best radio radio show host in the country? do I want to be the biggest TV star in the country do I want to be a one man show more like a, a traditional stand up comedian uh you know with a with a the highest grossing tour with the you know blistering right wing jokes you know what, what, what does my office want to become ultimately? And I don't know the answer to that question yet. So raising this money is going is to help me figure it out. I'm going to sp- spend the next year or two working out what, what, you know, which, which exact direction it is that I want to take my career to do the best that, um, that I can.
1: Well, if you want to start a radio show or a radio empire, give me a call because I'm on board, let me tell you, especially if you pay a lot of money. Okay, the uh, book is Dangerous by Molly and it is a runaway bestseller available at uh, better bookstores and websites. Uh, Amazon's carrying this, right?
2: Oh, yeah. it's cheapest to Amazon. Just get it from Amazon. <laughs> oh,
1: <really? laughs> I just have to get it. The- you tried to get your sales at Barnes and & Noble, and now you're undercutting
2: yourself. I, no, no. I mean, like this is, now, we've, now we've won with Barnes & Noble. I don't want them to get the sales because they've been so difficult. Maybe we'll just oh. buy it from Amazon. It's faster and it's cheaper. Oh, Do it from home. Let me,
1: give, let me give you one little bit of advice. Get a business manager. Just in the last 30 seconds. I a business manager. Get a better one. Then. Jeez, Jesus. <laughs> God. Anyway, Milo, we're virtually out of time, and I cannot thank, thank you, you enough, first for all that you do, and also for the time that you've given us here at One Dimitri Radio. I always give my guests the last word. So I'm going to hand you my Shure SM70 dynamic microphone, and this is your opportunity to speak directly to my listeners here at One Dimitri Radio. You're free to repeat points that you made during the interview, bring up new points, new ideas, also to promote shamelessly your books, your speaking engagements, your social media, <laughs> anything and everything. So, Milo Yiannopoulos, my microphone is yours.
2: Well, thank you. I will try to keep it relatively brief. First of all, you should look out on my Facebook page. Um, You just search for Milo on Facebook and you'll find me uh, for news about the upcoming college tour, which I think will be very exciting. Um, It's going to be bigger and better than the last one. Um, More outfits, more outrageous jokes, and more uh, brilliant commentary and explosive – well, not too explosive, I hope – Uh, Spectacles. Um, You should, of course, if you haven't already, pick up a copy of Dangerous by just looking at searching for Dangerous and and Milo on Amazon, and uh, keep an eye out for um, my next moves. I am aggressively experimenting in a variety of different formats. I want to make myself unignorable. I want to make myself uh, omnipresent. One of the ways I'm going to be doing that is finding the greatest, latest, newest, young conservative and libertarian talent to promote, to give a platform to, and to develop alongside me. Ultimately. So if you think that you're the next great conservative commentator or even just an author whose books perhaps reflect uh, principles like, you know, freedom of speech and and, and all that kind of thing, get in touch with us. We might have some way to help you. And the uh, the last thing I'll say um, to those of you who are feeling um, deflated and who occasionally lose, uh, you know, it it can be difficult because you need a lot of stamina to fight the left because there's a lot of them and they're well organized and powerful, is don't give up hope because um, the last election, the success of my book, and a dozen other things are demonstrating that actually the right doesn't have to lose all the time in culture. Sometimes it can win. All it requires is for you to um, show up and support the people who are out there fighting that war for you. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am hugely grateful, and I would love to come out again some other time.
1: Well, wow, you know, you are right. You are right. You are best at being humble. No question.
2: <laughs> Milo, have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where
1: prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes...